We are having some people leave our church at noon today, or later tonight, I should say. Uh, we have a short-term mission trip assignment in the Dominican Republic. And I want to have the ladies that are going to the DR stand at this particular point. Is someone in the congregation? Good. Others? All right, let's form an honor guard around our dear sister here as we go to prayer. Can we do that, please? Stand and there we go. It's good. Father, we rejoice in your goodness to us. We rejoice, O God, that you never change and that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what you revealed to us in grace is always sufficient. Thank you for those who have taken the training to go on the short-term mission trip to the Dominican Republic. Uh, thank you for the training that's happened, the funds that have been raised, the laughter that has been given, and the study that has been gained. Father, we trust that as our ladies leave us uh, later on this afternoon and tonight, catching their flight from Pittsburgh early morning tomorrow, be with them. May traveling mercies be theirs. Lord, as they remain united and sense cultural changes in the Dominican Republic, we trust you'll give them wisdom to be able to present the truth of the gospel to these people that they will come in contact with. As a result of prayers and concern for lost people, may there be a sense of just a sense of urgency that they can present the truth from a confident heart by nurtured by the Spirit. And we will see uh, people come to know you in a personal way. We trust for health issues and also a sense of your abiding presence with them as they go about this task in the next several days. Bless each one. We commission them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We pray Christ's speed in their hearts to think and act and be blessed like the Master. And we trust the Holy Spirit will give them a great sense of your presence as you empower them for the ministries that are before them. So bless them, we pray. Father, we pray too for the annual the congregational meeting that's to take place after the service this morning. Father, we pray that as we are part of that experience and preparation for the annual meeting, help us to be here. Help us to be glad for what's taking place in the life of the church. Thank you for what is taking place as we think of a new lead pastor and the time that's being spent in that process. We thank you for John Hall this morning as pastor of Children's Ministries. We thank you for his ministry amongst us in Sunday school, in the Iwana program, <clears throat> nursery, uh, preschool, and on and on it goes. We trust you'll give him a special anointing as we think and appreciate what he does for us in the life of the church. Bless he and his family. We trust that your hand of protection will be upon him as he continues to serve us. Father, we pray for Ron this morning, Ron uh, Franklin, who's lost his wife this past Thursday. Father, what an example of your grace to him as he is so carefully taking care of his ailing wife. And Father, we trust that as uh, Ron goes through uh, this grieving process, may you be a part of his life with the words of comfort, the consolation that comes from the Spirit. And he's able to give testimony of your grace and your goodness through this uh, years of trial that he has had to go through. 
So bless them, we pray today. And also we pray for our church as it relates to missions, uh, our involvement with the Great Commission Fund, our involvement with general givings. We trust that we will see answered prayers in so many areas of our church from a financial, spiritual staff, elders, congregant, ushering perspective. May your hand be upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> 2008, this particular gentleman was the keynote speaker at Peacemaker Conference in Florida. It was interesting to make our acquaintances again with judges and Christian attorneys and teachers and professors from various theological seminaries and pastors and counselors all kinds of lay people as it relates to the, what the Peacemaker Conference is trying to achieve in America and across the world. As this gentleman spoke, uh, there was hardly a dry eye in the place because of his reflections on what peacemaking is doing in his church, a church of three or 4,000 people, as they were determined to help the church to become united in the things of the gospel, the truth of the headship of Christ and all of these wonderful blessings that Christ has chosen for us because of God's love for us. Right after September of 2008, there were a few things that started to happen in this man's life. And he noticed some twitching. <clears throat> he also started to lose the capacity of being able to run. He was a, an avid runner, marathons, etc., he also started to lose the sense of being able to swallow and has not swallowed now for approximately two years. As a pastor of this particular church, you know, he really worked through some deep personal issues in his life. And he was at times downcast, but always was able to give a clear example of God's goodness in his life in spite of these physical conditions. No longer can he eat. He's fed by a feeding tube because he's lost sensation in his throat to be able to swallow. Do you think this relates to any kind of thought as it relates to being downcast? John Stumble is the pastor's name. He was lead pastor of the Salem Alliance Church in Salem, Oregon, a church of about three or 4,000 people, has given up the post of being the lead pastor of that church. Basically, what he does now is he's starting to walk a little bit. He's able to drive a little bit, but an awful long way to go as it relates to becoming normal. Giving up the headship of a church of that size through all of the nurturing work of the Holy Spirit He's now become a writer, and you can read a lot of his blogs on Salem Alliance Church and notice the phrase, John Stumble. You just click on that, and you can read his weekly blog. What a tremendous nurturing work of the Spirit as you read that blog week by week and see how God has taken John through that particular journey. I remember John as he was in his first church in eastern Pennsylvania. Went through a couple rough spots in that particular church and was my privilege to mentor him. 
And it's great to mentor someone who's got a whole lot more skill sets than I'll ever have. But to see how God is using him in such a mighty way in his depleted physical condition. Instead of ministering to two, three, four, five thousand people, he now writes, and it's tens of thousands of people as they read his blog. And now he's having tremendous impact upon some of the darkest areas of the world as a result of how God has nurtured him and blessed him through these tremendous trials that he's in. Let's think for a minute this morning of seeing a person in a wheelchair, a child. And he's in that state for the rest of his life. The demand upon him to be balanced and to be mature and to grow. God's permission to, for him to be in that condition or that girl to be in the condition. We think of people who are in wheelchairs these days or maybe even in their beds because of a car accident and their spinal cord has been severed. Recall one time when we're pastoring the church in Winnipeg, Canada. We used to go to the hospital to visit a person by the name of Annabelle. She's long since gone to heaven. She acquired polio back in the 50s when Winnipeg was basically drenched with that polio disease. And there was quite a history of us as clergy going to visit this woman. We thought it was our responsibility to try to encourage her as best we possibly could as far as her life was concerned. I visited her several times. Never once did I have the privilege of encouraging her. Never once. She always encouraged me. The ability of seeing God's mighty hand laid bare, speaking to people who are downcast and find life pretty difficult. Like those of us who have lost a job and lost it suddenly. Two days to clean out your office and make sure the keys are given to the superior. Some of us have been through some of that. Or like my nephew a few years back, came home after a trip and all he saw in the house was a cart table because the wife and kids took off. No clue. Downcastness. I'm sure I haven't covered every area where people feel downcast. But I'm also resolved that the Holy Spirit has already touched on the areas of your life where you feel somewhat downcast. It's interesting. Sometimes you can feel very good about lots of things, but there's a little area in your life, maybe a little larger area in your life, that is prone to being downcast. Things just aren't quite working out the way that we envisioned them. Are we in good company this morning? Now, the first service, they got excited about this. They were just hopping up and down. They were more expressive. Already some of you folk have lulled you to sleep as far as being downcast is concerned. I kind of enjoy putting the first service and second service at odds a little bit just to keep things kind of hopping, you know. I'm just trying to help everybody not to become downcast about some of these particular things. Great men are not always wise. Elijah possibly failed at the time when he should have 
taken an unflinching stand. Think of Elijah for a few moments this morning, how God had nurtured him, spent time with him, walked with him, encouraged him, gave him all that he needed to live a physical life as far as that part of the world is concerned, and also spiritual nurture as well. Remember all of us as believers in Christ Jesus. We are participants in His grace. That's 2 Peter chapter 1. We all have infirmities. And we all have passions. And there are times as children of God, we are downcast. I'm absolutely certain with the years of ministry that we've been a part of, People go through being downcast. And too often, sometimes people think that when they're downcast, something is wrong with their relationship with God. It could be, but not always, of course. Just remember, we're participants and partakers of God's grace, God's virtues, and God's glories. Several points this morning as we look at the first Kings chapter nineteen verses one through eight and beyond. A cowardly flight. Elijah ran for his life. And just think of it. All of a sudden this wicked woman gets up on her easy chair and shouts, Elijah, because of what you've done to these prophets, in twenty four hours, you're going to be the same. And, you know, uh, he's had exposure to see some of the trickery, the harsh words, and the behavior of Jezebel. Basically, ran Ahab. And we all know in life, as we have experiences of being downcast, there are things that cause us to become downcast when it seems that they're just a little more powerful than we are. We really can't change some of these things like the eight-year-old boy that's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. That may not change. And we have these kinds of ongoing issues as it relates to our lives. And of course, this was an ongoing thing as far as Elijah's life is concerned. But let's just stop for a moment and think about this. Elijah was fed by the ravens. There was enough. Also, God kept the brook pure till it dried up. He also prayed in the woman at Zarephath. There was enough food for Elijah and the woman and her son. Oh, there was tremendous heat there in terms of the death of the boy. But Elijah was used of God to bring the resurrection. All while that was going on, of course, we, we know the story. The prophets of Baal, of course, were being killed. Some pressures in that regard. We all know the taunting that took place between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And, you know, pray a little harder. Cut yourselves and let's see how God, your God, will reveal himself and send fire from heaven. We all know the story in terms of how Elijah saturated the altar. Water ran down to the brook just to make sure that um, 
when God reveals himself through fire, that's pretty supernatural. Elijah saw all these things. Elijah also had a pretty solid understanding of being able to hear things pretty quickly. Heard the rain. And all of a sudden there was a cloud the size of a man's hand and he read 18 miles as far as being ahead of Ahab is concerned and helping Ahab to avoid the mighty rain gush that obviously took place. You know, why would Elijah, with all that stuff, with all that experience, with all that evidence of God's supernatural work, why in the world would he become downcast? Jezebel spoke. She wasn't too kind. Elijah ran for his life. Prayed that he might die. We need to remind ourselves of a few things as it relates to all of us who are followers of Christ. There, there are times we get pretty tired. Long-term faithfulness can become in itself and of itself a form of being downcast. Because we're constantly fighting, as it were, against the pricks. And just think of it for a minute. Can you imagine the, the expense of energy, the, the expense of adrenaline that Elijah went through in praying fire from heaven? Putting all that pressure on himself and trying to display the supernatural presence of God by virtue of his act in fire? We don't know how much he ate during this period of time. Probably enough, we don't know for sure, but probably not enough too. But running 18 miles in a desert condition, pretty hot, ahead of the chariot. And just putting up with the barbs of Zarephath's woman, the widow. Long-term fatigue that comes because of just being faithful to God. Are there legitimate grounds sometimes for the whole aspect of being downcast. When we're downcast, how many times do we really do a number on ourselves saying, well, we're really not good enough because this, this, isn't, this isn't the way for Christians. We shouldn't have these kinds of problems. It's like a phone call that Karen and I received this morning just before the first service. Sister-in-law has come down with cancer. And that's just a little tip of what we've been through this week with the family. Downcastness. Are we listening this morning? Are we identifying with our own downcastness? How many times have we allowed ourselves to become somewhat defeated by downcastness? Turn to me back to Isaiah chapter 43. And I want you to turn to that. And I'm going to read the first five verses of that and then make some comments as we continue to move along as far as these thoughts are concerned. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 43. <clears throat> you know, I had a bit of a stir this morning as you're turning to Isaiah 43. I forgot where I laid my Bible. And i got to have a Bible to preach once in a while. I didn't know where I put it. Was it out there or back in the office? And I tried to find it, and I couldn't find it. So when David was praying this morning, David Snyder, I found my book on the pulpit. What a relief. 
Instant resolve over being downcast. Notice, 43 and 1 of Isaiah. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Elijah, Jacob. He formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. I guess we had that in Daniel's time. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. My friends, this morning, in your thoughts, in your experience of being downcast, are you listening to me? You are God's. He has declared, you are mine. And that gentle work of the Holy Spirit will give you the strength to go through these particular downcast experiences. They may last just a very short period of time, but they may last all of your life. Like a person with blindness. A person who's deaf. All kinds of reasons to be downcast. I remember one time counseling a person who was deaf, and I said, well, just how is it being deaf and not being able to hear all of these things? Well, I'm not missing too much, that person said. But I've really been able to be nurtured of God to listen at a deep level. And I hear the voice of God over and over and over again. God is everywhere present, even in some of our infirmities. So we're his. Here was Elijah in a cowardly flight. And just frustrated and just heartbroken in some ways, exhausted and whatever. But God said, Elijah, you're mine. Let's look at point number two for a moment as it relates to a a despairing cry, verses 4 and 5 of 1 Kings chapter 19. He was really despairing. Basically said of himself, life is very unprofitable. I just can't stand the place where I am. That's Phillips, by the way. And he had emotional issues with this thing. He says, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that's a part of this whole business as far as being a follower of God is concerned. Even Israel... And their ancestors have disappointed you. And here now I'm in this crazy pickle as well. Notice verse 10 of 1 Kings chapter 19. Notice his words. Verse 10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, Put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. When you go back to verse 18, or chapter 18 of of 1 Kings, twice we have these words. Obadiah hid a hundred prophets. Later in that same chapter, and also in chapter 19, there were 7,000 that were followers of God. 
Elijah says, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Oh, oh, my, oh, oh, oh. Didn't change God. God understands what is His. God is bigger than some of the things that we express as it relates to our emotions and our hearts and our minds. Jonah, the same way. Paul said, of course, in his downcastness on occasion, it's more necessary for me to remain in the body than go on to be in heaven. We have examples on both sides of the coin as it relates to this particular thing. And just think of it for a few moments as Elijah was wrestling with these comments between God and himself in verse 10 and verse 14. When you go from verses 10 through 14, you know, you have some mighty acts of God. Just incredible acts of God. An earthquake, mighty wind, and so on. But it also says, now listen to me, it also says that God was not in these particular acts. But God allowed Elijah to continue to speak his mind and his heart and his emotions. There's very little change in the words of verse 10 and the words of verse 14. And God is sovereign in this thing, but how careful God really is to nurture the downcastness of Elijah. I want you to follow me now. I want you to listen to this. God was supernatural to Elijah, not overpowering him, when it comes to the brook, when it comes to water, when it comes to meat and food, when it comes to having enough food uh, the time of Zarephath and the woman and her son. Supernatural act of God in terms of raising this boy back to life, fire from heaven and so on and so forth. God acted, listen to me, God acted on the behalf of Elijah in a supernatural way not to overpower him and to bless him and enrich him, to give him strength even through his downcastness. God in verses, between verses 10 and 14, did not use something even more supernatural to overpower this guy as far as Elijah's downcastness is concerned. And God was able to understand and minister to Elijah in this particular experience in his life. Why? Because when God gave water, kept it pure, and meat, ravens, etc., that was sovereign, that was perfect, and that was enough. He didn't have to overpower him. Now when he's downcast, the nurture of the Spirit enabled Elijah to walk in victory and to see how God was working in his life through his early parts of his ministry. And God allowed Elijah to kind of spit it out, kind of talk from his gut, kind of wrestle with these particular issues. He was able to listen and support Elijah because, Elijah, you're mine. Sometimes God remains silent just to help us to realize that 
God is everywhere present, even though He's not speaking to us, as David writes in the Psalms in several occasions. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to listen to me here. Who else experienced the quietness of God in a tough spot? Was Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because all the nurturing work of the Holy Spirit, all during the birth of Christ, all during His earthly ministry, healing the sick and allowing children to sit in His lap and striking out and sit open sepulchers and so on and so forth. Because the Holy Spirit of God was with Christ. What Christ gave to us and what He blessed us with was because of the Holy Spirit's work and it was perfect and just and enough to bring hope and change and resolve and living by faith as far as our downcastness is concerned. What is the greatest miracle that ever takes place in any of our lives? When we receive Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Why was God quiet when Christ was on the cross when He said those words? My God, my God, why have we forsaken you? Because the Holy Spirit nurtured Christ, knowing that as God has worked in His life all through His ministry, nothing else had to be said. Nothing else had to be given. Nothing else had to come in a more of a supernatural way in order to bless Christ on the cross. Because all the words of the Holy Spirit in Christ's ministry was sufficient to give Him the strength to be obedient, to purchase for us eternal salvation. Because God in Christ is mine. You know, Christ or God didn't make a mistake here by being silent with Elijah. We see the evidence of God's supernatural work in Elijah's life. Enough! And so, God didn't have to overpower himself to kind of convince this boy who's having a little bit of a pity party. Didn't mean that, really. I just want you to listen. But as God continued to nurture this man, how how did God speak to him? Gracious touch, point number three, verses five and six. The angel touched him. Now, now I know sometimes uh, people don't like to be touched. But I remember one time in eastern uh, Ontario, Canada, there was a very difficult situation. A boy took his life. And the twin brother developed Crohn's disease because of loss of his brother. I performed that that graveside service. Couldn't say a thing to this young man. Didn't have a clue what he was going through. But I touched him. And you could just kind of feel just a little heave. A little more of a heave. And I embraced him a little harder. And finally I squeezed him hard. He sobbed. Sobbed for half an hour. In front of the RCMP and what have you. God, in a very gentle way through the angel, just touched Elijah. Sometimes touching brings the head and the heart and the emotions kind of in sync. Uh, Some clinical psychologists have told me that over the years. The angel touched him. 
and gave him some water and a baked cake. No different than what happened back in 1 Corinthians chapter 17. God's work is enough. God's supernatural work is enough. So as you go through life and you accumulate these downcastness and these frustrations and so on and so forth, but you see how God in His marvelous grace has nurtured you through these particular processes. That's why He can just touch you and be gentle with you. I hate to refer to this, but it's the truth. As a former superintendent, I've had to deal with pastors who have fallen, morally. And oh boy, it's tough. But Galatians 6.1 says, handle people gently. You still with me? So he may be very badly downcast this morning. He will touch you. He will reinforce all that what he's done in your life in your past. Bring it to sense that you're mine. And he will rehearse some of this stuff with you. And you're able to kind of put it together by the nurturing work of the Spirit and say, Oh yeah, that's right. I've been through this before. It's harder now. But the supernatural presence of God will bless me and keep me indeed. You go on in the text here this morning, and the angel touched friend Elijah the second time. What happened there? We have a supernatural scene. He lived on that bread. How long? Forty days, forty nine. Supernatural presence of God using something that Elijah already had experienced, the provision of God, but is able to nurture Elijah along for 40 days and 40 nights as a result of eating that particular cake. While that took place, what happened to Jezebel? She was ate by the dogs. Now, friends, this morning, in your downcastness, have you personalized these truths a little bit as it relates to how God speaks to you? What God says to you when you're nine years of age, you're a follower of Christ, those beautiful truths that you gained at nine years of age will help you when you're 69. And I'm almost there. Because as God delivered you at age nine, He will also deliver you when you're at age 69. And you build on those basic principles, but he deals with us gently and carefully and resolutely, and it's perfect, always. In other words, if you're in a wheelchair or suffer from ADD, as my little grandson suffers from Asperger's, God will be enough to see it through. And when my little grandson was home, he's age 10 now, was home with us in Georgia back in Christmas time. The first thing out of his mouth, or first thing out of his mouth to me, he said, Grandpa, this is where I received Jesus. Yet he's got Osbergers. And he's a happy little kid. Has he downcast? Has he been downcast? Oh my goodness, because he's had terrible abuse in school. 
But Jesus penetrates his heart. Why do I know? I talked to his mother last night. Helping with our computer, our home computer that crashed. It went to computer heaven. Keep this as simple as you possibly can. How God speaks to us. Always from a delivering point. Because you're mine. And he builds upon that which is supernatural. Not to overpower us. But to keep us going. And one day we're going to reign with him. And he will give us the strength to bear these things. When we are downcast. Some of you have fallen asleep, I think. Remember going to Prayer Mountain in um, South Korea years ago, and uh, I'm a bit of a nosy parker by nature. And so I thought, well, boy, we're just going up to the DMZ, and I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to just kind of sneak into North Korea. And I didn't tell my wife. <clears throat> so I got an American GI <clears throat> on my right. And a North Korean soldier on my left. I think it was the other way around, but the story goes. So we started to walk across the bridge of no return. Quite a bridge. And we were walking and walking along, and we got at least halfway across that particular bridge. And the American GI was with me, and the North Korean soldier was with me. And all of a sudden, Stop! Wouldn't let me go any further. I remember using the illustration in church where there were rows of people sleeping. (laughs) Can you imagine the depth of my fix that morning? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Are we having fun yet? Are you still as downcast? (laughs) Boy, I almost tripped in that cord. (laughs) Point number four. Just that gentle touch and that baked cake with water was supernatural. As Jesus was on the cross, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? That supernatural touch of the Spirit enabled him to purchase for us eternal victory. Because of God's presence. So as we go through these periods where God doesn't seem to want to talk to us very much, He's always there because we're His. It's all growth. Amen? Grace is touch. Elijah was able to speak his mind. Didn't change God at all. But so tender and gracious was God. And that's the way it is with us. Is that your testimony? Father, as we come to the conclusion of this service, thank you for the story of Elijah. He's downcast, but how precious and sovereign, powerful, gentle you really were. And we have evidence of that in our lives this morning as we think of how you speak to us by the Spirit in our downcastness.
And all of us experience that. But thank you, O oh God, that you're everywhere present, able to minister in these needs. We pray.